Y'all, tonight's uh, passage is not just a, a good story, all right, with all the sort of necessary parts, characters, setting, plot, theme, uh, conflict. It is also, uh, I believe, a great illustration or a metaphor for what the Christian life is and is like. The Christian life uh, is an epic journey. Before Christians were ever called Christians, uh, they were known by their contemporaries uh, as followers of the way, or simply the way for short. To say that Christianity has always been not just a way of seeing uh, the world or a new way of thinking about uh, the world, but to be a Christian is to follow a man who called himself the way, the truth, and the life, and to be themselves on the way. Walking uh, out of darkness into light. Stepping uh, out of bondage uh, and into freedom. Rising out of death uh, and into new life. It's dynamic. It's active. Christians uh, are a pilgrim people. They are uh, pilgrims uh, in progress uh, and also in process. Uh, Christian life, Christianity, it's a journey. Uh, And like many other journeys, uh, this one begins uh, with an invitation. That's point number one, right? Uh, Jesus is inviting you on a journey. Indeed, he's inviting you on a journey tonight. Look at verse 35 with me. On that day when evening had come, he, that's Jesus, said to them, that's his disciples, let's go across to the other side. On this particular night, Jesus invites his disciples to get in a boat with him and to travel to the eastern side of the Sea of Galilee, that is, to the country of the Gerasenes. And the disciples answer that invitation, and they go on a journey with Jesus. Well, Jesus is not inviting you tonight uh, to go to the land of the Gerasenes. That's not where you're being invited to. But he is inviting you uh, to come with him, to go with him. Uh, to go where he is going. And some of you have answered uh, this call and are on the way. Uh, And others of you are contemplating that decision. Uh, Should I go or should I stay? Whether you are on this journey already or uh, making up your mind, it's helpful to know where you are going. Uh, It's helpful to know where exactly uh, Jesus is calling you. You know, when Jesus says, let's go to the other side, where exactly is he leading you? What is the other side? What's your final destination? Well, from a big picture perspective, the place that Jesus is leading you to uh, is a place called heaven. Uh, Heaven is not a state of mind, uh, but it is a real physical place. I realize I'm actually wearing a shirt. This is Bluffton state of mind. It's actually a real physical place. (laughs) Right? And so is heaven. Right? Jesus is there in the flesh. So is God the Father. So is God the Holy Spirit. And not only is God, Father, Son, and Spirit there, so are a bunch of angels. And so too are all of the so-called saints. Uh, human beings who have lived and died uh, before us rightly related to God. These aren't super Christians. They're simply Christians. Men and women who have put their faith and trust in God and his ability to keep his promises, which are all yes and amen in Jesus. 
right? All of these, right? The whole host of heaven, God, angels, saints are there in this physical place right now, this very minute. And if you are on a journey with Jesus, heaven is where you are headed. This is your final destination, right? It is where your journey ends. You all know the game Oregon Trail? Did you ever play it as a kid? I loved it. I still like it. Okay? When the game begins, you've got your family. And uh, you get to name everybody, right? Like, assign names to everyone. And so you, you've got your family, and then you hit the road. Your journey begins in, if you remember this, it starts in Independence, Missouri. Not St. Louis, Independence, Missouri. And you're heading west. You're going uh, to, to Oregon. Well, this journey takes a long time, and a lot happens along the way. You know, when you get there, when you reach Oregon, you're the same person, but you're also not the same person. You're older, and you are wiser. I realize I'm talking now about the real Oregon Trail, like you played a video game, right? But in theory, right, those who made this journey on the Oregon Trail, um, who left Independence, Missouri, and, and, and headed west... And, and ventured out there, by the time they reach that destination, they're the same, but they're not. Right? They're older and they're wiser. They've experienced uh, a bunch of stuff, some good and some bad. You put yourself in their shoes. right? You know now how to ford a river. You know how to suck poison out of little Timmy's snake bite. Uh, you know how to fix a, bro- a broken wagon wheel and how to hunt buffalo and antelope and rabbits. Something you didn't know how to do back in Independence, but by the time you get to Oregon, you know all of this. Right? Come Oregon, you're the same person who left Missouri six months ago, but you're not. You've changed. Okay? And it's helpful for us to think of, uh, about the Christian life along the same lines. Okay, like the Oregon Trail, it's a journey with a beginning, middle, and end. And the whole journey is described as your salvation. And not just one little section of it. Right? The whole thing is your salvation. Every journey has a starting point. Uh, and the, the journey with Jesus right, uh, begins uh, with your justification. It's a fancy word that simply means you're being made right with God. Okay, Jesus died for your sins upon a cross. And when you put your faith and uh, your trust in him, your debt is paid. The debt that you racked up with all of your sin, it's paid down. And more than that, all of Jesus' riches right, are credited to your account. His perfect record is yours. Everything he has is yours. And this transaction of Jesus taking your sins and you receiving his righteousness, his perfect record, this is described as your justification. It's the first act of your salvation. If you put your faith and your trust in Christ, you are declared forgiven. You are declared forgiven. You might not look a whole lot like Jesus at the beginning of your journey, but that is how God sees you, legally speaking. When he looks at you, he sees the riches of his son. Your your justification is uh, your independence, Missouri. Independence, your being set free from the penalty of your sins is where your journey begins, right? 
this is the beginning and it's not the end. Your journey ends with what the Bible calls your glorification. That is, your being with God and perfectly reflecting and resembling God forever and ever in heaven. This is where you are going. right? Your glorification is your being saved from the presence of sin altogether. This is your so-called organ. Right? But everything in between, everything in between this, this beginning and end, your justifi- justification, your glorification, between Independence, Missouri, and, and, and Oregon over here, uh, is the trail itself. Right? It's a stretch of road that the Bible calls your sanctification. And your sanctification is just as much a part of your salvation as what comes before it and after it. Your sanctification uh, is a process whereby you are empowered more and more to die to your old way of life and more and more to live for Jesus and like Jesus. You know, if justification is being saved from sin's penalty and glorification is being saved from sin's presence, sanctification is being saved from sin's power. There's a past and there's a future tense and a present tense as well. You're presently being saved from sin's power. It is a process of walking with Jesus, learning from him, and becoming more like him uh, along the way. Granted, you may have just gotten started on this journey. Or granted, you're further down the road. uh, Chimney Rock or Soda Springs or Fort Walla Walla. Uh, If you play the game, you know what I'm talking about. But you're on the trail. right? You're walking with God and he's walking with you. Helping you to reach your final destination. There are... I'm going to wrap up this first point. Jesus is inviting you on a journey. Okay? And there is a beginning, a middle, and an end. Right? It starts with your being set free from the penalty of your sin. And it ends with you being free uh, of sin's presence altogether. But along the way, Jesus is with you, setting you free. Right? From sin's power. And there are two perspectives to this journey. Okay, there is your perspective and there's God's perspective. From our perspective, as we walk towards heaven, it's, our perspective is we're almost there. But from God's perspective, who is there waiting for you and also with you by His Spirit, but they're waiting for you, the final destination isn't we're almost there, it's they're almost here. What you're looking at is heaven and what He is looking at is you. And what he sees is you not just coming to closer to him uh, in terms of time and space, but he also sees you coming closer to him in terms of your stature. With every step that you take with Jesus, you are becoming more and more like him, which is to say you're not just getting closer to heaven. You are be- beginning to reflect um, the values of heaven more and more as you walk with Jesus. If you follow Jesus, this is where you were heading. Getting closer to heaven and closer to Jesus. Growing up, becoming wiser, becoming more like him as you journey with him. And this brings me to the second point. 
uh, of tonight's story and sermon. Journeying with Jesus isn't easy. It's not easy. There are forces working against you. Chaos happens uh, on the way. Look again at Mark 4, this time at verses 36 and 37. It says, And leaving the crowd, right, and leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was, and other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. When these disciples uh, went on a journey with Jesus, it was not the sunset cruise that they might have had in mind. Okay? Their journey was anything but smooth sailing. And it never is. Right? If you want to go back to that lengthy illustration of the Oregon Trail, right? you, don't cr- you don't do the Oregon Trail on cruise control. Right? It is uh, a bumpy road with twists and turns. Right? Chaos happens uh, along the way. Unexpected things, right, happen along the way. And Jesus promises as much. Right? He says this is, this is going to happen. In Mark 10, six chapters later, Jesus says to his followers, Truly I say to you, truly I say to you, there is no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mothers or fathers or children or fields for me and the gospel, there's no one who will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields, along with persecutions, right? And in the age to come, eternal life. What Jesus is saying is like, look, if you leave your home and you leave your family and you begin to follow me, I promise you, you're going to get that back presently. You're going to find a, a family with you, right? Brothers and sisters, uh, who you will get to spend eternity with, you know, starting now. But you'll also get along with it persecutions. Right? This is part of the deal. And in the age to come, eternal life. There are many blessings that come with following Jesus now and then, but there is hardship and there is suffering and there is persecution along the way. There are forces working against you. You know, in the story uh, told in Mark before us tonight, it is dark outside and the wind is howling and the waves are crashing over the boat. And all of these things, darkness and the wind and the waves preventing the disciples from actually reaching their final destination, right? Standing in the way. And to the Hebrew imagination, these two uh, in particular, darkness and an angry sea, are the symbols par excellence for evil and chaos. Right? Darkness and and a raging sea symbolize evil uh, and chaos. And these are the forces that are working against you. Look, there are persons who want you to fail. There are persons who do not want you to reach the final destination. And chief amongst them is the devil. The devil hates you. And he hates God. And he does not want the two of you to be reconciled. He does not want the two of you to be reunited. And he is doing everything in his power to make sure that you do not reach your final destination. And he is doing everything in his power 
to keep your heart far from God. Well, there is a war going on for your soul. And this is what you are up against. You are up against the devil and the powers of darkness and chaos. And you feel it. You feel it every single day that you walk down the streets or you turn on your television or you open up your laptop because every single day you are bombarded with advertising intended intended to make you feel discontent and lonely and jealous and greedy and lustful because if you can feel discontent, lonely, jealous, greedy and lustful, you're going to spend money and you're going to want to buy their products. Advertising is playing to the worst in you. You feel uh, the, the forces of darkness and chaos working against you when friends and family make fun of you or reject you uh, for being a Christian or even considering right being a Christian. Christians in other parts of the world feel it when they are tortured and or killed uh, for believing in Jesus. You feel forces of evil and darkness working against you when you are taking a, a test and the kid next to you is cheating. You know, they take off their hat and they've got the, the answers in, inside the, their, their hat and they're, they're cheating next to you. you. You are feeling forces of evil working against you when you're tempted to do as they're doing you feel it when you buy something at the store and the cashier gives you money back. And instead of giving you 10, which is what you're owed, they give you 20. You're like, do I pocket it or do I be honest and hand it back? Right? You feel it in that moment. You feel it on a Friday or Saturday night when everybody around you is drunk and having sex with somebody and you're going to bed sober and by yourself. You feel it then. Look, I would feel it almost every Wednesday. I've since had to take Instagram off my phone. If I want to put something on, I have to install it, put a picture up, and then uninstall it. Because every Wednesday before I preach here, I would get notifications of a friend invite from a woman who wants me to look at her sex page, her profile, visit this porn site. Without fail, every Wednesday. That's not a coincidence, friends. That's not a coincidence. There are forces of evil working against you and working against me. Look, you feel these forces every single time the thought enters your head, maybe there isn't a God after all. Or maybe there is, but he's not good. Maybe there is, but he doesn't love me. He doesn't want what's best for me. You feel it every time the thought comes, following Jesus is not worth it. It's not worth the cost. I'm going to go off trail. I'm going to find some other path. I'm going to choose some other destination. Then I'll be more happy. Then I'll be more fulfilled. Right? Every time, right, those thoughts come. There are, friends, forces working against you. They want you to fail. And this is not just an annoyance, it's a deadly assault. Which is why the Apostle Paul concludes one of his letters to the churches with this exhortation Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood only, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil and the heavenly realms. You are not just fighting with men and women. 
You are fighting forces of evil and chaos that hate you and do not want you to reach your final destination. Christians are lying to you if they tell you that following Jesus is easy and fun. Because it's not. Following Jesus is good, and it's rewarding, and it's worthwhile. But it is not easy. And it's not fun. Frankly, it can be downright scary at times. It can feel overwhelming. And when you start to bump up against some real hostility, when you start to bump up against some real rejection, you know, when you, when you bump up against some real um, temptation, some real pain, you start to wonder, is this worth it? Does Jesus even care? Right? You freak out, and you freak out on Jesus, and that's what these disciples did. These disciples are on a journey with Jesus, and the wind and the waves are against them. Have you all ever seen the show Deadliest Catch? We have our resident Alaskan here who knows all about it, right? Um, but it, it's, a, it's a show that follows a bunch of Alaskans, right, deep sea fishing for crab. These guys pretty much cuss and they whistle on the show, right? Cussing at each other and whistling while they work as crab cages are crushing them and storms are buffeting their boat, right? It's crazy what these guys work through. And I've never seen a show of the deadliest catch where they're freaking out. Not once. And maybe there is one. I just haven't. I mean, the only time I really watch the show is when I'm in a hotel. And I have, like, cable and I'm watching, like, the Learning Channel or something like that. Um, but I've never once seen them freak out. If you're on a boat with these guys and they start to panic, then you know you're in a lot of trouble. If the guys in the deadliest catch are freaking out, you and I... Landlubbers are screwed. You know? Well, the disciples in the boat with Jesus that day had seen lots of wind and waves before. Right? Most of the men in that boat were fishermen. Before they became fishers of men, they were fishermen. Right? They had spent most of their life on the sea or by the sea. So this was not their first rodeo. Okay? But tonight was different. Right? Tonight, they encountered something that they hadn't really seen before. They encountered wind and waves uh, that were overwhelming. And their boat began to take on water. And they themselves were overwhelmed. Right? They are going down, and without any help, they are going to drown. And so they panic, and they freak out and freak out on Jesus and say, Do you not care that we're perishing? But it's not so much a question as it is a statement. You don't care, right, that we're perishing. You don't care that we're perishing. And I think if we're honest, we can relate to this feeling. Right? In the midst of your trials and temptations, when you are beginning to feel overwhelmed by the forces working against you, you ask, don't you see the trouble that we're in? Don't you see the trouble that I'm in? Do you not care that I'm perishing? And this brings me uh, to our third and final point. We've got God on our side. 
Okay, we have got God on our side. Jesus invites you on a journey. This journey has a beginning, a middle, and an end. There are forces working against you. But God is on your side. Let's answer the disciples' question, do you not care that we are perishing, uh, with another question. Where is Jesus the entire time? Where is Jesus the entire time this is happening? Like, did Jesus stay back? Was Jesus the one who took like a champagne bottle and smashed it against the hull of the the ship and said, bon voyage, as the ship starts to sail across the sea? Like, is he back there on on the western side of the shore? Or is Jesus on the eastern side, maybe uh, uh, in a lighthouse, saying, come this way, you can make it? No. Jesus is smack dab in the middle of their chaos. Right? Jesus is in the boat with them. Right? He's never left their side. Right? If the boat goes down, he is going down with it. Y'all, Jesus has bound his fate uh, with the fate of his friends so much so that he is willing to die with them and for them. And indeed he does. Because look, on the night that he was betrayed and handed over to be crucified, Jesus told his disciples, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. So when the disciples ask, and when you ask, do you not care that we are perishing? Jesus answers, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? Do you still not trust me? Because, look, Jesus is not ignorant of your struggles. And Jesus is not immune from them either. On the contrary, Jesus enters into your chaos. And he takes it on. Quite literally, he takes it on to himself. As he goes and hangs on a tree. He has not forsaken you. Right, behold, he says, I'm with you always to the very end of the age. I'm with you always till the very end of the age, until we get to our destination. I'm with you. But not only is Jesus Emmanuel, God with us, he is also God Almighty. Right? In Hebrew, El Shaddai. He is Emmanuel and El Shaddai, God with us and God Almighty. The one who journeys with you is more powerful than the chaos around you. He is more powerful than the forces working against you. In verse 39, it says, And he awoke and he rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. He says to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear. Not for the storm that's outside the boat, but they're afraid of the storm inside of it. Right? The hurricane that's bigger than the hurricane. In their midst. Who is this? 
Who is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Jesus has a question for you. Why are you so afraid? Do you still not trust me? But he doesn't rebuke you. He rebukes the wind and the waves. He tells them to shut up and to settle down. He doesn't say that to you. He says to the wind, shut up. To the waves, sit down. And they do. They back off. They're silent. And seeing this and hearing this freaks the disciples out because Jesus isn't yelling at them. That's not why they're freaked out. It's because they realize that the one they are journeying with is no ordinary human being. He is like a mighty lion that could tear them limb from limb if he wanted to, but he doesn't. He doesn't, and he doesn't want to because he's on their side and he's on your side. The one they are journeying with is not just God-like. He is God in the flesh. Because where else do you see this kind of power on display but the beginning of the Bible? Where God himself says to the darkness, let there be light, and there is light. And he says to the sea, you go here and you go there. And the sea and the sky separate. And he says, hey, move over, and the land starts to appear. Who is with us in this boat? You know, who is with us uh, on this journey? Well, it's none other than God himself. The Lord God Almighty. God is with us, and he is almighty. But what is more, he is faithful to his word. Let's not forget uh, what he said at the beginning and what prompted this journey in the first place. Because Jesus said, let's go to the other side. Let us go right to the other side. He didn't say, hey, let's see if we can get there. Or, hey, maybe we will reach the other side. He says, let's go across to the other side. To say, God is with you and he is for you. He is almighty and he does what he says he is going to do. If God says, let us go across to the other side, guess where you're going? The other side. If God says, you are mine, guess what? You are his. And if God says, I'm going to finish the work that I began in you, he's not going to quit. He's not going to quit on you. He's not going to ditch you in Kansas. He's not going to bail on you because you've got some sin in your life that he's still working on and working out. Right? He is by you. He is by your side and he is on your side. Which is why I can say with Apostle Paul, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. He will finish what he started. He is not going to ditch you. Jesus invites you on a journey. There are forces working against you, but God is on your side, and he is powerful, and he is going to see this journey through, and he's going to see you through it to the very end, and nothing can thwart him. You know, I, I pondered how to end a sermon like this, and I just realized I can't do better uh, than the Word of God itself. So I want you to listen to what it has to say. And, and the book of Romans, verses 8 
31 through 39. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us right now. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? Do you still doubt? God is with you. He is for you. He is almighty. And He will see your journey through to the end. Let's pray.